Last night, we just there's a tremendous time of worship, uh, just beautiful presence of God. You know, you just don't want to get just to sing songs. We need to be worshipers to let God touch us. Sometimes it takes a few times with a song before you open your heart and your, your mind is focused, your soul is focused, and you start to engage God. But when you do, you want to allow your whole focus to be upon Him. So we properly engage Him. Worship prepares us to receive from Him. And so we give Him something. You always come into the presence of a king with a gift. It's not just your money gift. He wants your heart. He doesn't need money. He got no use for it in heaven. It's, uh, it's we need to be able to be givers to loosen our heart. And uh, so, but there was a song they sang. Was it Yeshua last night? Very beautiful. In the presence of God, come on that. And uh, I felt there were some, some points last night, quite touching really. And uh, just amazing to see the movement of the Spirit. And, uh, but just uh, as, as we sing the song Yeshua, it, uh, it really reminded me uh, when, when I first started to hear the song was uh, during the season of COVID when the whole church and the whole nation was locked down. And it was one of the key songs that was played when we went online and, and we couldn't gather, but we had prayer meetings. That was a, <clears throat> a time of immense loss for everyone. Uh, I want to touch into that today. We're going to uh, have a chance to minister to people and, and, and whatever. But before I start, I want to just express some words of honor to Dave and Kate. And uh, quite specific, I, I was thinking about it last night in the worship and some specific things I want to thank you for and honor you for. And uh, one of them is that the way you handled yourself during the season of dishonor and rejection that preceded being appointed to pastor. Most of you wouldn't know that, but some of you would. But how you handle yourself in the, in the season when everything is against you, where nothing that God has said seems like it's likely to happen, and yet you hold firm to him and maintain a good attitude, then that's a crucial point. How you handle yourself in your season of dishonor is what prepares you for the season of honor. So I want to just honor you both. You never got bitter or complained. You always had a good spirit and understood there was a bigger thing at play and you held on to God's words. I want to honor you for that. I want to also honor you for how you led the church through the COVID crisis season. Many churches folded completely. There's some, many churches around the world are no longer here. And uh, some of the biggest churches in the nation, yeah, maybe 30% left in the church. And a uh, huge fall away. And, uh, and I, I watched how we'd never faced anything like this. No one had faced anything like this, but you stood up and went online uh, because you had a vision some time ago to be able to do that. And you were ready to help us through that season with those prayer meetings and those online gatherings and an encouragement on Sunday. So I want to honor you both for that. And uh, the third thing I felt uh, to honor you for too is how you faced and overcome criticism and false accusations by offended people. You know, one of the things about being a pastor is you have to talk into lives to shift people and help them grow. If you love them, you'll help them grow. See, and if you help, to help them grow, you've got to say things at times which aren't always easy to hear. And sadly, in New Zealand, most people get offended and then they make lots of accusations. And I think one of the most trying things as a pastor is when you, you show so generosity financially, generosity of kindness in different ways, and uh, then after you've poured out your life to help people and stood by them in their crisis, when they turn away and falsely accuse you, that's 
very, very hard on your soul, very hard. The Bible calls it a grief to your soul. So I just want to honour you how you've handled the grief and faced and overcome that and, uh, and carry a sweet spirit and still care about people. Not many can do that. Let's give them a clap. Let's appreciate them. Just stay on your feet for a moment. A couple other things. Uh, I want to thank you how you've developed the facilities and established a beautiful atmosphere of worship and prayer. I mean, really, you, you carried the vision for the whole front being opened up and various things happening. And then the, the week we were supposed to uh, announce, uh, open it up and have the official update on how we got on, then suddenly there's the floods and then it's all being in action. So I want to honour you for that. And I want to honour you for how you responded to our community in the time of crisis. It was outstanding, exceptional. <laughs> Hundreds of people ministered and touched. I want to thank you and honour you for that. You, you've demonstrated faith and courage and perseverance and you've shown vision and love for people. We couldn't ask for more. And Dave, when I heard what you did in, 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 in Ethiopia, I was just stunned. <laughs> the white man has vanished. <laughs> He'd gone to share the love of Jesus with people. That was just absolutely stunning. And I'm so proud of you. I loved it. It was just so good. Amen? Isn't it great? So thank you again. We love you as our pastors and the church and just appreciate you and all that you do and all that you are. And uh, very easy for people to sit in the, uh, in the stands and criticize how the game went. It's another thing to be all your sleeves up, be down there and getting knuckled and pummeled while you win the game. <laughs> and as I've always said, if you can just don't quit and keep going, you'll win. That's what it is in the kingdom, eh? Okay, well, I want to share something with you today that, uh, that, that will be a blessing for you. I was wondering where to go, and especially the way David advertised it. And I think, oh, what am I going to do? And uh, I think actually the Lord just dropped something into my heart. And it'll, really, it'll, it'll really fit with what Apostle Tamarat was on last night. So I want, to, I want to speak a message called the stretch of faith. The stretch of faith. I want to use a scripture passage out of, uh, it's, it's found in a number of places. We're going to look at it in Luke chapter 6. And, uh, and here it is in Luke 6, verse 6. And uh, it's the story, it's the story in the Bible of a man who had an encounter with Jesus. And this same encounter that he had, I believe God wants you to come into that encounter today. And uh, in Luke 6, verse 6, it said, It came to pass on another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he'd heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to them, which had the man, which had the withered hand, stand up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and he stood forth or came near to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, that's the Pharisees. He's now asking them a question to uncover their heart. I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking around upon them, he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he did so. And the hand was restored whole as the other. And the religious people, the Pharisees, were filled with madness. How about that? You filled with the Holy Ghost or filled with madness? <laughs> they were filled with madness and they talked with one another what they might do to Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus that they might kill him. 
Well, that's an interesting story, isn't it, eh? I love these stories because often there's a lot more in them than you realize. So I want to, first of all, just look at the, uh, just the, the, the two things I want to see or draw attention to. Then we're going to look at the stretch of faith. First, I want to look at the condition of the synagogue and the spiritual atmosphere was withered. The hearts of the leaders of the synagogue were withered. The spiritual atmosphere was withered. There was no move of God. There was a deadness of legalism and bondage in that place. This is the environment Jesus came in. Notice it takes place in the synagogue where people come and gather to worship and hear the word of God. And so the place that should be a river of life, empowering and blessing and bringing life as God intended to people, instead it's become completely withered. It's full of religious spirits which are legalistic, judgmental, accusing. They don't carry the heart and spirit of God. And uh, we see in there, there's a group of people called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders and they were rigid keepers and enforcers of the law and the traditions of the Jews. So they promoted the, the laws in detail, keeping of the law, and they promoted tradition, oral tradition. That's who they were. And uh, one of the things is whenever people lose their relationship with God, they often become either, they become one of two things. They either swing out into the world to try and fill the void and the pain or they become very religious and legalistic and critical and negative and resistant to any movement of God. And that's what these people were like. Jesus described their influence is like a leaven. If you don't confront it, then it spreads and infects everyone. So accusations, criticisms, offenses, legalism, it spreads like leaven, like yeast through the bread and it infects everything. You've got to guard that you don't get caught up in any of that in any kind of way. And uh, whole churches can become filled with that. They become legalistic. That's what Paul rebuked the Galatians churches for. He rebuked them because you started in the spirit. He said, who hath bewitched you now? And you become under the law and legalistic. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the flow of the spirit. Jesus has come into the house of God, into a place that's withered and not producing life. And he's about to uncover and expose it in quite a dramatic kind of way. You notice there it says that uh, the, the Pharisees, when after they were confronted, joined with the Herodians. The Herodians were followers of Herod. They were, Herod was a, was a Judean king and he'd been put in place by the Romans and everyone hated him for what he was and what he did. And they were his followers. And so they're the political group of the day, religious group, political group. And you notice what brings them together. They hated one another. They had nothing to do with one another. But what brought religious and the political factions together was a single common thing they hated Jesus they were hostile to Jesus what he stood for they were moved by an antichrist spirit and that what brought them together was their common hatred of Jesus and you'll see more and more in the end times of religion and politics coming together like that producing something which will be hostile to the work of God to Christians to people who believe the word of God stand on the word of God that's what we're seeing now emerging in the earth we saw it in America under Obama's regime you saw the Islam rise, you saw the left, the left uh, uh, promote homosexuality, the uh, Islamic people kill them, and yet they come together. What have they got in common? There's nothing in common except one thing, and that is hatred for Christ, Christianity, the power of God, the move of God, the standards of the Word of God. And so this is the, this is the environment. Nothing much has changed, has it? So what you're seeing in this story is quite a reflection of the spiritual atmosphere in the Western world today. 
Well, got quiet now, haven't you? <laughs> How about that? And, and when Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew 3, 5, it says, when Jesus looked around, he was angry because he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Now, very few times Jesus got angry. Interesting, he never got, never recorded, he got angry at sinners. Well, like a lot of people do. You don't, there's no record of him being angry with, normal, with sinners, people that were, in fact, he was their friend and made them welcome and honored them and brought them into hospitality so he could share with them and bring life to them. What angered him was religion. What angered him was lifeless religion with its demands and control and accusations. And that was what got him grieved. He was grieved in his spirit because those supposed to represent him did not carry the heart of God, did not represent the heart of God, didn't carry the life of God. They misrepresented their father in heaven. You understand? And, and that's the same. So the very things we see here, we don't want to fall in the trap of, of, uh, of causing Jesus to be angry because we fail to represent the heart of God to restore and, and uh, rebuild lives. So what about the condition of the man? Let's have a look at the man. It says in the book of Luke, Luke's a doctor, so he describes something the others did. And he said, it was the right hand was withered. Hey, how about that? So, so the right hand, and the Bible, there are lots of scriptures in the Bible about the right hand. I'd encourage you to go through. There's no detail in the story that isn't significant. No detail that isn't significant. And I'll, I'll point to show you why that is in a moment. And so his right hand was with it. So the right hand in the Bible was, it was described in many places. The right hand, of course, was a hand you used to provide. So the right hand, you work. Most people are right-handed. They work with their right hand. If you lose your right hand, lose the hand and can't use it, then your ability to provide is with it. Their ability to provide for the needs of people had been with it completely. The right hand in the Bible was always used for blessing. You laid the right hand, the right hand of blessing. You put the right hand on people, it was to bless them, speak into them life. This man's right hand was withered, describing the condition of the church of Jesus' day, unable to bless and impart the life of God to people. Right? See, the, the Bible describes the right hand as the right hand of power. Stretch forth your right hand in power, God, it says in Psalms. And so the right hand signified power and his right hand is withered and it, it symbolizes and, and is indicative and reflective and shows in a physical form the powerlessness of the church that Jesus had entered into on that day. Isn't it amazing? The right hand is also used for fellowship. When you meet someone, you reach your right hand out. If someone's got a claw hand, that's really embarrassing, awkward, and it, some, it does something in that connection. The right hand of fellowship, we extend the right hand of fellowship. What that means is your right hand is extended, it hasn't got a weapon in them, you're not gonna attack them, you hold their right hand and this is a sign of friendship and welcome into relationship. This man's right hand was with it. There was nothing welcoming about that environment that was there. So, so the man symbolizes in a physical way the spiritual condition of the church, the synagogue that Jesus had come into in that day. How about that? It's amazing, isn't it? There's a little more too. I'll give you a bit more. That when you start to search, you start to find it all opens up. And uh, so you notice it says the hand was withered. That word withered means completely dried up, shriveled up. So it's not that he had a problem with his hand. The hand actually had just about died on him. Short of gangrene, it had withered, it had dried. So that means that when you see a bit of fruit that's withered, all the life is gone, the, 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 uh, everything in it's gone. The muscles then contract like that. The hand becomes like a claw and turns inward. So you notice then, no life whatsoever. Turn inward and a source of great shame. 
How about that? What a description then of, that, of the church Jesus was in, that there was, there was no ability to bless or provide or uh, release power of God to people and the hand was rather withered all up and it was turned inward and it was a source of shame and embarrassment. It's amazing when you see these stories, how they, there's far more in them because Jesus saw the guy, he deliberately confronts the religious leaders to, to show them the condition of heart that they have. So, so, so there's some things about it. Now, I won't go into this too much, but uh, I, I might do a bit more with the pastors. But let me just open up a couple of things. In, the Bible says there's so many miracles Jesus did, you couldn't write, if you wrote them in books, they'd fill all the books in the world. So that means the Holy Spirit had to select some. So when he went through, he selected ones which were very significant. They represented the full ministry of Jesus, but often there was more in the story than met the eye. For example, we see in Luke chapter 13, there's the story of the woman who had the spirit of infirmity 18 years and was completely bent over right down like that. I can't get that far down, but she was right down, face to the ground. She couldn't walk, couldn't see. And when you're like that, you shuffle like this. You can't get around. Now, interesting, Israel, the people of Israel were very familiar with the book of the, with the Bible. They knew the stories of the Bible. They knew the background. They're very familiar. So when you hear the word 18 years, they all knew that in the book of Judges chapter three and chapter 10, it describes that Israel went into bondage to their enemies and they were held bound in slavery to their enemies for 18 years. So the number 18 meant something to them. It reminded them of the period in their history when they served their enemies 18 years. And why did they serve their enemies 18 years because they had left the flow of relationship and honoring God and they'd found substitutes in prosperity, they'd found substitutes in Baal, substitutes in Ashtaroth with the queen of heaven, a spirit which is seductive and which is behind the immorality in the Western world today. It's the spirit that empowers it. Why do I know that? That it's empowering it because that's what it caused them to do in those days. There was homosexuality and lesbian, transgenderism. There was the sacrifice of infants. All of the things that you're seeing in society today, they were uh, behind or they were the fruit of worshiping those gods. And so when the woman with the spirit of infirmity was bent over, she was held down by wicked demonic powers with no mercy for her life. And it pictured very much the church which had given up its relationship with God, served wrong gods, false gods, and now had come under demonic bondage and affliction. Now, that was that story. What about this story? Now I checked through the Bible to find out, is there any story of a man with a withered hand? And it turns out there's a story of a man with a withered hand. And uh, it's just very, I won't go into the details, I'll just share the bit that's relevant to get you to think. And this is found, I think, about 1 Kings 12 or 13, around in that area there. And it's after the time of King Solomon. Solomon was a man with encounters with God. Solomon saw God, the glory of God appeared to him. He had encounters with God, he was favored with God, but towards the end of his life, in his latter years, he lost the fire and the passion for God. He married women that were worshipers of these old gods, Ashtoreth, Nasare, and Balaam, and, and Molech, which were the gods that brought immorality, uh, uh, homosexuality, all these kind of things, the gods that, uh, that brought uh, sacrifice of infants. He married women that worshiped them, and he he went and worshiped them too. And from being a person that cried out to God for a tender heart to hear people, he went to be a hard task most after the people. Idolatry hardens your heart. Idolatry yep. makes you insensitive. 
And so at the end of his reign, his kingdom was split and uh, 10 tribes went to uh, one guy, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam uh, had 10 tribes. He had the tribes of Israel. Now here's what happened. He felt afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of losing control. Afraid of losing his hold on the people. So what he did, because he was familiar with this, he made substitutes for God. He made a golden calf, which he put in Bethel, the house of God. A golden calf he put in Dan, which means of judgment or a right, right, righteous judgment on each end of the nation. And then he did this. So he made substitutes for God. That's the problem making substitutes for God. And people substitute appearances. They substitute performance. They substitute all kinds of things for the presence of God. That's what he did. And then the second thing he did was he changed the priesthood so anyone could be a priest. It didn't matter who they were. Or in other words, he lowered the standards and requirements of God to be inclusive of all the people exactly what's happening today. You see, to be inclusive doesn't mean you drop your standards. To be inclusive doesn't mean you agree with the evil that men do. To be inclusive means your heart is open to them, but that doesn't mean you agree with them and, and don't speak up about God's standard, God's word, God's requirements. That makes sense to you? That's what he did. Okay, and I'll give you the third one. I, I could develop those, but I'm just gonna just I'm flick over it because I wanna get to the stories. Eh? But, uh, but the third thing he did was interesting. Now, this is a really interesting one. The third thing he did, in the, in, there are three feasts of Israel, and each feast has a spiritual significance. The feast of Passover, we're celebrating soon. It's a, it's the, it, it was fulfilled in the death of Jesus on the cross when we respond and receive Christ as our Savior, accept the work he did by his blood, we are saved. We're delivered out of bondage to slavery like Israel were in their first Passover. The second feast is the Feast of Pentecost, where it's uh, the feast where of first fruits. It's a feast where there was uh, the beginning of the harvest. It's a feast where the Holy Spirit was outpoured. So those two feasts have been fulfilled. It's the third one. The third one is the Feast of Tabernacles held in the seventh month. And that's the Feast of Harvest and that has yet to be fulfilled. And this is what he did. This is what he did. He changed the date of the feast and put it off another month. In other words, or if you want to put it in today's language, they put off the imminent return of the Lord and the need to be prepared for his coming. See, no preaching about the return of the Lord and the day of the Lord and the need to be prepared for his coming. If I ask a lot of people about the day of the Lord, they don't know what the day of the Lord is. Well, it's a great day and for some and it's a dreadful day for others. You just, got, you just got to be deciding which one you're going to be. But, but, but the Bible's very clear about that. Okay, so he put it off. And this is what I'm seeing is there's a lack of awareness in the church globally of the imminent return of the Lord. We can look at all of these things that's happening. If you watch the media, you'll pick up the media narrative and be deluded. You need to read the Word of God and see the signs pointing to the imminent return of the Lord and prepare yourself. Oh, come on, let's give the Lord a clap. Man, that's the great hope of the church. You know, it, it requires a response. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles, we required in that feast, it was started off with a preparation of repentance. It started off with a preparation for the coming of the Lord and the great harvest. It required preparation. 
And that's what the church needs to be doing now. It's not just lamenting what's going on or what's happening, but rather preparing for the imminent return of the Lord, being filled with the Holy Ghost, being ready to carry a word of life to people. Okay, well, we're gonna, so that's right. So here's what happened with that king. I nearly forgot. That's right. So the prophet told him, confronted him, and what he did was he, he stretched out his hand. When he stretched out his hand, his hand became withered right in front of him like that. So the man who was the instigator of idolatry, dropping of standards, putting off teaching or preaching about the return of the Lord, that man's hand withered up withered up and the prophet prayed for him and his hand was healed. So that's the only other instance you find of a hand being withered. And it points to us, uh, and, and, and the reason it's there is because the moment they saw the, the man with the withered hand and saw Jesus' encounter, they would have been reminded it was because of idolatry that that king's hand become withered. And they would realize Jesus is speaking a message, a profound prophetic message to the church. It is withered because of substitutes for the living God. A relationship with God takes time and effort and energy and commitment. There is no substitute. Watching online won't substitute. Coming to meetings won't substitute. We must build our own relationship with the Lord. Amen? Come on. Yeah, you get it really. You start to get it now. Okay, so that's just the background of the story. So, so let's go. So, so the Bible's very clear. Jesus spoke in John chapter 15 and uh, in, around, in the first few verses of John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he said, if you're cut off from me, you are withered. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm the source of life and vitality. I'm the source of peace. I'm the source of joy. I'm the source of what you need to sustain your life. I was, I met Shirley Davis. I don't know where she'd been here somewhere. Met her just out there. There you are over there, Shirley. And uh, we've known Shirley for many, many years. And I looked, I thought, well, there she's in her 90s. She's just full of life in the spirit like that. I thought, we well, see, that's why she's so healthy. It's just a strong spirit sustained by the word and spirit of God. Yeah, that's, why, that's why I've still got plenty of life in me. It's the spirit and word of God. See, cut off from Jesus, you get old real quick. Cut off from Jesus, you lose your joy real quick. Got to have a bottle or something else to help you find find it. But, so, so here's the thing. So if we're cut off, then we, our lives become withered. So what has withered you? What has caused you to become withered? I have noticed after the season of COVID, many Christians become very withered. I've noticed everywhere, not just here, I noticed it in Asia, everywhere I went, the Lord got me speaking about this very thing, that, that during that season when, when there was excessive use of control and fear, people shut down and they become withered because they were not, it was not just a health issue, there was a spiritual power shutting people down, filling them with fear. Little by little now, the, the evidence of the lies and manipulation is coming out to the open, but that's what was going on. And so when you're exposed to messages of fear and this kind of thing for a long time, it affects your spirit. And that's what I've noticed. The church, it dried up. So many Christians dried up, lost their passion for God, lost their spirit of prayer, lost evangelism, lost the heart for the things of God, lost even the desire to turn up. Withered. See, just withered, withered believers. Withered believers. 
And, and, and withered believers usually are full of some, something has withered them. I'll give you an idea of some things a little later. So let's have a look what Jesus did. I wanna focus on this. Now Jesus demonstrated that the kingdom of God is not just in word, it's in power. In Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse four, where the word of a king is, where the word of a king is, there's power and who can say to him, what are you doing? So the thing is that wherever God's word comes, there is with his word power to transform. Only God can take a dead man and raise him to life. Only God can take something that's withered, a relationship that's withered, a, a, a faith that's withered, the, the finances that are withered. Your, your life is withered in some kind of way. Only God has the power supernaturally to put life where there's death then no religion can raise a dead man. Only Christ has the power to raise something that's dead. So if you're withered, if something in your life is withered, there is power in the word of Jesus to bring life back to that again. Supernatural life, creative life. He can restore it to you. But it requires that word from God, which is why Pastor David's brought a prophet in, bring a fresh word from God. Now, the interesting thing is that often when God gives a word, he requires something. It's quite interesting. The Bible says in, in Galatians 3, verse five, it says, how does he work the supernatural and do miracles? Is it by the hearing of faith or works of the law? Clearly, miracles and the power of God are worked by the hearing of faith. When you hear God and believe and take an action, and many times God requires that your faith takes action. It's not just a matter that you believe, but your, your, the, the reality of your faith is demonstrated by the next step you take. It's demonstrated by your words, what you say, and by your actions, what you do. So you may say, oh, well, I'm believing God, you know, for financial harvest, for financial growth, for this to prosper. Okay, well, what are you talking about that now? And what are you doing to start on that journey. God requires you do something. Now, Jesus told the man, he gave him three commands. It's the third one I'll focus on, but I'll get me the two first. The first thing he said to the man was, stand up. Now, when you look at it, he said, oh, just stand up. And then he told him to come over near him. Come here or come forth. And then he gave a third command, which is the one we'll focus on in a moment. But the first command, stand up. So what does he mean, stand up? Now the issue is that many people, when their life is withered, when things aren't right, become passive and internally they're sitting down. They're hidden in the crowd of people. They're sitting down on the inside and they're passive. They're not committed to the fight. They gave up the fight a long time ago to accept the status quo. Are you a person like that? Sitting down, no drive, no ambition, no vision, nothing, just sitting down in maintenance mode. He said the first thing for your miracle, you'll need to stand up. Now to stand up meant he had to overcome things. He had to overcome the opinion of people. Nobody would want him to stand up. No one likes to stand up in the middle of a crowd. Everyone's sitting down, you have to stand. No one likes that. It's a bit, all the focus is on you. And if you've got a withered hand, that's even worse. So you understand that Jesus is saying, stand up. He could have waved his hand and the miracle would come. He required, he do something. So the first thing, the first two things were possible without a miracle. It's the third thing required the miracle. 
So the first thing, stand up. Every person inside can make a decision by choice of their will. I am going to change. I'm going to reach out and connect with God and break out of where I currently am. If I'm withered, I'm not gonna stay withered, hiding in defeat in the middle of a crowd. That's the first step. If you, you know, Jesus, the guy's lying down there 38 years and Jesus said, do you wanna be healed? And he ends up, now that's a yes, no. It's a really simple yes, no. You want to be healed? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so simple answer, isn't it? But a yes, no. And then he comes on. What does he do? He goes on. Well, I've been lying here for 38 years. I'm gonna, when the water comes, there's no one to help me. You know, you can, this is all victim speak. This is all victim talk. This is the language of a defeated person without faith in their heart. And a lot of people get like that. When you say, come on, step out or try something or move out of where you're comfortable, when you try to get them to do that, they've got some excuse. Excuses are used by losers. I couldn't play my best game today. I've hurt myself. You know, come on, you know, you, you just. You, 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 you got to realize then excuses are just a justification in your mind for not taking action but you're only lying to yourself and deceiving yourself. The first thing he said was stand up. That means you've got to overcome passivity. You've got to overcome the tendency to live with no expectation. You've got to overcome that. A lot of people live no expectation, no hope, no plans for the future. Nothing, passive. You've got to overcome the pressure and disapproval of people to do something different. Every time you want to step out, and trying to be something that God called you to be, there will be disapproval you'd have to overcome. It's just how it is. And sometimes the disapproval comes from people so close to you, it hurts deep. But if you've got something in you, it says, I'm not staying with it where I am. I don't care what you think. I will stand up and respond to God. See, you gotta make that decision. Hey? See, so here's the next thing. The second thing he said is, come near to me. Come near to me. So, so of course, since Jesus is the source of your miracle, if you want your life to change, make a decision. Stand up and say, I'm not gonna be like this for the future. This is my day of change. Second thing is, you must draw near to Jesus. James 4 verse seven, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So here's the question, who makes the first move? See, so you have to draw near and he responds to you. A lot of people who become quite religious in the sense that there's no life or vitality or power are waiting for some great move of God. They're waiting for some great thing to happen. I've noticed them waiting for many, many years. At least as long as I've been in ministry, 40 years, people have been waiting. It's a great thing. You know, I think, well, really, what are you doing today? What are your steps today to show your faith is alive and active? James said, you know, you say faith without works is dead. He said, you talk about faith, I'll buy my works, I'll show you how real my faith is. My faith is a living faith and now I do things that other people don't do. Okay, so the third thing, third thing. So, so he calls us, he calls us to come boldly, come boldly near. And last night, Apostle Tamarat was talking about the spirit of prayer. And the, the first thing he said for an encounter with God, a shift where anything withered changes is prayer and giving. 
opening your heart, opening your life, drawing there. And then he went on to talk some of the other areas as well, the obedience to the word and so on. Okay, so notice what the, the Lord said. Now, anyone can make a decision to stand up. Anyone can do that. That is easy to make the decision, I will change, I won't stay where I am. Anyone can make the decision to pray and come near to Jesus. The bit you can't do without the power of God is to stretch when you're with it. See, it's, it's the stretch is the issue. And so the stretch, it's in the stretch that the miracle power of God is released. So you can stretch, but it requires God's power to get you to get the breakthrough. And that's, I'll just focus on that, then we'll have a, have a time to pray for people. So I was thinking about what did it mean when he said, stretch out your hand. Let me give you what, what I believe it means. It means to intentionally, intentionally apply effort to overcome resistance and extend beyond your comfort zone. So I say that again? Stretch, what does it mean to stretch? Because I believe God is wanting us in this season now to begin to stretch. Right. It's in the stretch you see the power of God. It's not in waiting in a prayer meeting, it's in the stretch out of your comfort zone. Notice the word stretch, to be intentional. You must be intentional about applying force to overcome the resistance. There's always gonna be resistance in your stretch. Even naturally, you try and stretch your muscles are trying to hold their previous condition. They don't wanna stretch. He says, it hurts. I know it hurts, but keep stretching, it'll come right. So be intentional about applying force to overcome resistance. And I'll just ask three questions in just a moment about that. Uh, to extend outside your comfort zone. So what is a comfort zone? What is a comfort zone? It's a place where everything's familiar. You feel at ease and you think you're in control of your environment. It's a place that's familiar. It's a life and circumstances that are familiar to you. They feel familiar, you feel relaxed. This is okay. I like this kind of life, this is okay. And I feel pretty much in control. You know, everything's the same every day, nothing's much changing, you see. So, so inside the comfort zone, you never try a new challenge. But, but your life and growth are in the challenge, in the new thing that you'll do, that you didn't do before. That's where the life is. That's what the difficulty is. When you're with it, you wanna stay in the comfort zone and you don't wanna stretch because it'll you know, maybe you make a bit of effort, it'll, it'll hurt, see? So, so inside the comfort zone, people don't take on new challenges. They, they only participate in things they're used to. Well, I'm not good at that. I, I, I don't think I could do that. Oh, come on, don't stay in your comfort zone. We're trying to help you get out of it because we can see something in you that you're bigger than that. One of the problems in New Zealand is a comfort zone mentality. It uh, keeps you small. You, you've no idea what you could do or become until you let God help you stretch out of your comfort zone. Stretch out of where you feel safe. Stretch out of what you're familiar with. Will it feel awkward? Of course it will. Will it hurt? Yes, it will. But it hurts more to stay restrained where your comfort zone has also become your confinement zone. If you stay in it too long, it becomes your confinement zone in prison. And God sees your potential. 
one of the role of pastors is to see what you got in you and call you out of it. But to get you out of it, you've got to break out of your comfort zone. If you don't break out of your comfort zone, you just stay doing the same things that you're familiar with and you feel you got your life in control and you don't realize you're in a prison. See, and one more meeting where you praise the Lord won't change that. Why is it hard to leave the comfort zone? I won't go into it too much there, but the first is just fear. Comfort zones are predictable, but when you step out of the comfort zone, oh, oh, what might happen? Well, something good could happen. You haven't stopped to think how it's gonna cost you if you stay there. You stretch out to move in the gifts of the Spirit, it always, there's a bit of a risk involved. Don't always get it right. You see, so fear and uncertainty. So leaving the comfort zone means leaving, the, leaving safety and facing the risk of things being uncertain and we don't know how they're gonna work out. So if you're control freak committed to control, basically you're under demonic hold and you're not in faith. And you're in a church that delivers people from that stuff, so you should make an effort to actually face it and get out of it. Oh, but I feel safe, I feel... Really? You're actually in prison. Your prison, you made the prison. Don't stay there, see? The, the second reason that people stay in the comfort zone is the temptation to want, want comfort. Temptation to want it to be easy, to avoid any risk. And of course, some personalities are risk takers. Dave's a risk taker. He'd scare you a bit at times, you know, with the risk taking. But actually, he still seems to be here. <laughs> and it seems like God likes some risk taking, a little bit of risk taking anyway. Or maybe you're now, I'm not a risk taker, I'm not like him, I'll never be like him. Oh, come on, come out of your confinement. Take a little step of some kind. Invite someone home if you don't do that. That would be a risk. See, you, you understand, you've got to make that decision. We won't stay, that's where it's safe. That's why, that's why the church needs apostles who are pioneers and want everyone out of their comfort zone. The pastor wants to gather them up, make them feel good. Ah, I love you, come on in, include you, put you in the group, and we'll sing together and have supper together. We're all happy. Now, now apostolic leadership isn't like that. Apostolic leadership, it says, well, wonderful, but you can't stay there like that. It says, I want you to grow up. So we're gonna to have to say a few things to help you grow up. Yeah. Then everyone gets a huff. Oh, someone care for me, oh, they're being mean to me. Well, listen, what kind of nonsense is that? That's just immaturity. <laughs> Church is full of immature people. They're trying a bit of feedback, help them grow. They'll get puffy and huffy and whoa, 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 you know, and all that kind of nonsense. That's just childish, like a child having a tantrum. You're not spiritual maturity. And here's the worst part. God has a big plan and you want to stay in the little thing. That is so resistant to God, resistant. And so that's why God puts pastors and you want pastors, don't just hold it together and make it a nice safe place. You want ones to say, I got a vision from God, let's go for this. And some of you say, oh, it'd be too risky. How much is it gonna cost? Can you just see comfort zone thinking coming out? One of the things I've learned is, you never start off with how much it's gonna cost. You start with that, you can't do anything because you haven't got the money. Because what God wants you to do is bigger than the money. You gotta start on the journey with the plan, speaking it out and commitment to it. And then somehow money seems to come. If the money comes to the vision, it's, it's how it works. That's the thing for another day, but you gotta understand, unless you're willing to commit to walking and stretching out, you won't see God come to meet you in the vision. 
That's how he works. Oh, come on, give someone a nudge. Somebody's talking to you. Come on, break out of that safety zone. Okay, here's two other things. Then we get to finish it off. Here's another thing that keeps you in the comfort zone, and that is a a, a rigid or a fixed mindset. (sighs) Means you're unwilling to change. You're stubborn, stiff necked. You you ever had a stiff neck? You ever seen stiff necked people like this? They go around like this. You, You can tell straight away they're stiff necked. What happened to you? Oh, it's my wife. No, no. <laughs> you, you can tell there's something's going on there. See, they're stiff-necked. Well, what we don't see spiritually is how many stiff-necked people in the church. That's what God spoke to Israel all along. A stiff-necked generation, always resistant to the new things God wanted. They used to all just complain. Listen, that's the problem. And when you get older, there's more danger of becoming stiff-necked. Naturally and spiritually. Well, we don't want to be like that. We want to be freed up on the inside, free in your spirit. Even if your physical neck's a bit stiff, you can be alive in your spirit. Come on. It's a rigid mindset, see? And I, people say, well, it's just who I am. <laughs> really? Can't you see God see something much bigger than who you are? You're just confined by what people told you you were. You've just come to accept something that's too small. You know, you don't know what you could be if you, if you gave in to God. It's quite amazing what you could be. Eh? And, uh, and, oh, I'm not good at that. I can't do that. I'm no good at that. I've never learned. I've never, never done anything. All excuses under the sun. But listen, in the end, you're just staying in your prison. And, and so one of the roles of leaders is to encourage you to stretch out of where you're comfortable into a place where you have to lean on God for his power to enable you. Do you understand that? You needed his power to get saved. You need his power to live in the spirit and live by faith. And that's how it requires. It's always that stretch out. You know, I, I remember getting my schedule when I went to, went, <laughs> went to Taiwan. I had 32 meetings in three weeks. And I'm thinking, oh, help! And, and Lord spoke, don't be stiff-necked. I got you here. If you'll trust me, I'll just give you your messages every day. Daily bread. Remember the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. That's the one. Said today, I'll give you what you need today. Tomorrow, what about the meetings? I'll give you what you need tomorrow. You understand? It just, it just, it's still, no matter what stage of our walk, we still need that. Here's another one, the last one. The other thing that'll keep you, you, you stuck in your comfort zone are habits and traditions. Habits and traditions. See, habits just an automatic way of responding because you keep doing the same thing all the time. So habits can be good, then they can become bad, you know? So, so a habit, see? And tradition's an inherited pattern. You got it from your family, you got it from your culture, or you got it from your church. It's an inherited pattern. It's tradition. It's got nothing to do with God. In fact, Jesus said, uh, he said, you make the word of God of no power or effect by your traditions, that's why you've got to hunger for the word, be responsive to the word, and if it's different to what you used to, be willing to change. Don't keep hearkening back to the old days. 
See, traditions of men are the ways they do things. Now, some cultures have got traditions that are very good, but some cultures, the same cultures, can have very bad traditions that are counter the Word of God, and it will require you stretch to break that tradition and establish the blessing of God in that area. The traditions of men make the Word of God have no power. It's not the word doesn't have power. It's if you choose tradition over the word, you cannot access God's provision to escape that prison. Quite, quite something, isn't it? What, cult, what cultural thing do you need to face? It can be the, the way uh, homes and marriages are led. It can be how finances are done. It can be how children are raised. There's all kinds of things. We've got to stay on the growth curve. See, in, in Mark 7 verse 9, Jesus said, all too well you reject the commandment of God and rather keep your tradition. So don't be one of those ones that keep your tradition, but reject God's command while you keep it. You understand? Okay, so let's just finish on this one here. Let me just finish with a few questions. And looking around upon them, he said to the man with a withered hand, Stretch out your hand. Intentionally exert force to overcome the resistance and extend beyond where you got used to living. And as he stretched, his hand became full of life and power and was made whole, just like the other one. How about that? So here's three questions. Number one, what has caused you to become withered in your life? Is it fear? Fear withers people, steals their courage, feels their dreams. Disappointment can get in your heart and shut you down. Offense, if you got offended, offended at God, offended at a leader, offended at someone or something, it can keep you shriveled and withered. Injustice, if you've gone through injustices, then resolve them. Don't let them wither you. Don't let them become the focus of your attention. Rather, stretch out to overcome it by seeking the face of God and believing He can help you. Just stand up inside. I have suffered injustice. I will draw near to God. And what He requires me to do for a miracle, I will stretch for it to happen. Does it make sense to you? What has withered you? Bitterness, bitterness withers people, withers marriages. What has withered you? See, what, here's the second question. What resistance do you need to overcome to stretch out this year and do something different? What resistance? Is it the fear of failure? The fear people might reject you. That will stop you if you listen to it. Because saying, Jesus saying, stretch. Is it the need to be in control? Well, you may feel safe, but Jesus is saying, stretch, let me have the control, you get a better outcome. Is it the need to feel safe? Well, controlling your environment won't make you safe. Stretch out of that zone. Is it the lack of finances? Is that where your resistance is? Get a plan, get some advice, get some counsel, get a plan, make changes, trust the Lord and start to work towards the plan. Brilliant testimony last night about that. Is, is the resistance you're facing your passivity? Well, why are you so passive? Get some help, get some counseling, go solve it. Break out of that pattern. Is, is the resistance you're too busy? Well, get your schedule out and slash it. Stop being too busy. 
Is your, is your resistance, you've been rejected so much in life and you're fearful of stepping out again? Well, get some help and, and deal with it. Make a decision. Stand up, come near to the Lord, seek His counsel and get advice and help from people and stretch to overcome that thing that limits you. I remember when I had to face it, I heard a message and one question was asked. I don't remember any of the message. It was just this question. If you knew that by overcoming one issue in your life, that your life and future would change, would it not be worth the effort to overcome it? Even if it took you six months. And that's all I remember from that message. And I went home and said, I'm overcoming this thing. And within three or four weeks, I'll overcome it. I got an encounter with God that changed my life. Had an encounter with God. So the last thing is, what steps do you need to take? Where for you is your stretch? See, everyone, if you want to get out of your zone, will have to stretch in some area. Is the stretch for you repenting? You need to deal with some sin issues in your life. Is the stretch for you forgiving? You've been holding back on that and now you need to stretch out, forgive and start to love people. Is that, that could be a stretch for you. Is there past issues you need to actually face, resolve and stretch out to get over them? Uh, uh, is it a prayer life? You need to build a prayer life and stretch. You're praying, so you're praying more and you're praying deeper. Is your stretch setting some goals and starting to be accountable to fulfill your goals? Is your stretch eliminating some time wasters? What is the stretch for you? Everyone's got a different stretch. Is, is the stretch reaching to develop some new relationships with people who could help you grow? Is your stretch signing up for an education program or a Bible program or whatever to help you enlarge your thinking? Where is your stretch? Is it in your personal life, your finances, your relationships, your marriage, your family, your walk with God? Where is your need for a stretch? Identify it. Then stand up on the inside and make a quality decision. You'll draw near to God in prayer and seek His advice and counsel and you'll do whatever it needs to break out of that comfort zone. If it means getting some counsel, if it means going to a course, if it means getting some help from someone, you'll do what it takes, even though it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to admit you have a need. It's uncomfortable to admit you haven't got your act together. It's uncomfortable to admit your marriage isn't well, your sex life isn't well. It's uncomfortable to admit your family is a mess. It's uncomfortable to step out and admit things and get help. Help. But that's what we must do. So it requires we're standing up on the inside, coming near to God and making the decision, whatever God speaks to me, whether it's directly or through people, I will stretch to do what He says. And in the doing of it, His, He will meet me with power to change. You say amen? Come on and we stand to our feet today. Let's just stand to our feet. Let's flow into a song. of God is here, not only here in this room, but if you're watching online, the presence of God is here online as well. We have prayed in this place and seen lives transformed in other nations. Wherever you're watching, we love you. We want Jesus to touch you. And if you're with it in some part of your life, when people here respond, you could respond too. 
And when you respond and we pray, something is going to happen that's supernatural. So friend, here's the first decision. If you haven't yet given your life to Christ, spiritually you're with Him. There's a lack, a lack of a source. You can make a decision today to come out of your comfort zone. Stand up, make your way to the front. We will lead you in a prayer, help you talk to Jesus and your life will receive something that changes you. If you want to receive Jesus today, while we're singing, make your way to the front. If you're here today and there's a part of your life that's withered, make your way to the front too. A withered prayer life, a withered relationship with God, withering of bitterness, withering of pornography, the withering of some issue in your life. Make your way to the front and say, God, I want to meet with you. I want your power to touch me. Come on, let's do that right now. for a moment we're in his presence when we worship and draw near to him he draws near to us sometimes we feel it intensely sometimes not so much often it's his presence is felt as a peace a lightness an awareness that we're in the presence of the king of all the universe who loves us if you're just here in the front row and you're coming to receive Christ, could you just raise your hand so I can know who you are? If you've come to receive Jesus, just wanted to check that out. Oh, over here, I see one hand there. That's wonderful. Okay, we're just going to pray now, pray together. We're going to pray what's commonly called the sinner's prayer, but it's just basically prayer is talking to God. As we talk to Him, I want you to believe in your heart. He will hear you and respond. 
He'll not turn you away. He won't turn you away. He loves you. You may be filled with all the problems and things in your life, but He cares about you and your future. So let's pray together, church. Let's help this young man. There may be some others here too who need to pray this prayer. Just follow me in this prayer. Jesus, I open my heart to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me, to make me clean on the inside. I receive that forgiveness. I receive your spirit into my heart. And I give my life to you today. I thank you. I belong to you. You will never leave me. You're my Savior and friend. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to just... <clears throat> Before we pray for you, just while we're standing there, there may be some ministry team people who can make their way to the front to help with this. I just want you firstly, I like people to prepare their heart. What is the area that's withered in your life? Put a name on it and bring it to the Lord. Talk to Him now about it. Is it something you need to repent of, confess to Him, something you need to forgive, someone you need to forgive? Is it some issue that is overwhelming you? Just bring it to him with a name on it. Call it by its name. Call it by its name. Jesus, I bring this to you. As the man with the withered hand came, I come to you. And I'm asking for you to help me now. To supernaturally impart life. To speak into that part of my life that's withered. Just do that now. Pray that prayer. And what we're going to do is this. I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. God who sees your heart knows exactly what your need is. <clears throat> I'll lead you in a corporate prayer. Follow me in the prayer. At the end of the prayer, I want us to worship Jesus strongly. Reach both your hands up to Him. Make a stretch of your hands to Him. Ministry, I'll pray a prayer over you. And the ministry team will come and lay hands on you individually. There may be action steps you need to take after this. Write them down and set them in motion today. So let's just pray a general prayer. Then we'll pray the prayer we're going to worship. We're going to flow back into worshiping Jesus. I'll pray a, a corporate prayer and then the ministry team will come. Just follow me right now. Jesus, I come to you. I rise up on the inside because I know part of my life is withered. Lord, I come to you because you bid me to come like you bid that man to come in the story. I come to you, Jesus, with that part of my life that's withered and causes me shame. I bring it to you, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, to do a miracle in my life, to impart your supernatural power, your resurrection power, your creative power, Restore my life. Restore me today. I thank you now and I stretch out to worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's begin to worship him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take.
withering, a withering of your life. I break holds of witchcraft, fear, spirits of bitterness, grief, disappointment, spirits of betrayal, injustice, spirits that have afflicted your life. I command you, go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. I release the anointing and power of God. I release the power of God now in Jesus' name. Ministry team, could you come?